You know, we live in a, a very deceptive world in a whole host of ways. Uh, we started this morning a, our equipping class and we're thinking about technology and all the things that come at us and the things that we're bombarded with daily. And so much of what we intake and what we're impressed upon and what we see is oftentimes partial truth or it's kind of shaded, right? I mean, you can think of it in a whole lot of different ways. You could start with just, say, advertising. Uh, I, I was watching yesterday. Uh, we're getting into March Madness. I was watching basketball with the boys yesterday. And so you see all these commercials in between at the timeouts and stuff. And I was struck by, like, uh, McDonald's commercials. Have you ever seen what a burger looks like on McDonald's commercial? The meat patty is, like, really thick, and it looks really great. And you go to McDonald's, and it's, like, paper thin, and it looks nothing at all like what you see on TV. But that's kind of the way advertising is, right? Like it's, it's kind of shading the truth. It's presenting it better than it is. Like you really need this and this is really great. And so we get kind of bombarded in that way with things that aren't really fully the truth. They're kind of, we're, we're seeing a partial truth there. Uh, I'd say the same is true on social media, right? The, the things that we post and the things that we share with friends and the things that we put out there, it's not that they're lies. It's just that oftentimes we're shading it to kind of make ourselves look the best. Right? Like if you were to just take what social media shows you and what it says, it's like everyone's on vacation all the time and everybody's smiling and everything's great and that's what we see and that's kind of what we place out there. But it's not just advertising, it's not social media, it's, it's even in our interactions, uh, even in our life day to day. Uh, we can walk into this place and, and maybe this morning you were, you were hurried or you didn't realize as skip an hour ahead, like uh, that kind of threw me the last couple of days and, and you're trying to get everything together. And so sometimes we come flying in here and maybe you're, you're yelling at your kids as you drive in or you just had a fight with your spouse and then you walk in the door and somebody goes, how's everything going? Go, oh, it's great. I'm good. It's all, it's all good, right? Like uh, full confession this morning, I pulled up real early. I need to get here early. And I went to get out of my car and I dumped my entire coffee on my lap. I had to go home and change my pants and I was not happy. I was not like joyful and this is great and God's wonderful. It was like, oh, I've got to go home and change my pants. But the truth is oftentimes we don't say that and we kind of hide those things and we keep those to ourselves. And I was thinking about, well, why is that? Why is that the case that we kind of walk around with a lot of times half truths? Or we walk around shading everything to make it a little better. And I was reminded of a phrase I heard many years ago. It's from uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City or has been for a really long time. And it was a sermon of his I heard, I, I would say probably right at 20 years ago. And he said, we want to be known because we want to be loved. And he said, but we don't want to be known because we want to be loved. We want to be known and we want people to know who we are and we want to have relationships and we want people in our lives and we want people that love us and know us, but we don't want them to know all of it. Right? Because if they knew all of it, we believe if they knew the truth, they wouldn't love us. Or it'd be really hard to love us because there's a whole lot of mess that's underneath there. We don't have everything all together. Let's just think why social media becomes so popular. You can put out this good face, your best foot forward, and this is what it looks like. And I want to be known and I want to be loved, but I don't want to be known because I want to be loved. And so we all struggle with that in different ways. I think the truth is, if we're really honest and if we just uh, kind of laid our cards out there, the truth is we're all hypocrites in different ways, right? And you know the definition of hypocrite. Sometimes it's helpful to have the actual definition of persons whose actions contradict their stated beliefs. And so how often is that true? That's true for me. I know. I say, oh, God's grace in my life and be kind and gracious to people. And I'm not always kind and gracious. 
And I say, that's the, the key. And then there's times when I don't do that. And so sometimes my life and my actions contradict my stated beliefs. And we know nobody likes that. I don't think, I don't know anybody that's like, man, I love being around hypocrites. It's usually the opposite. I don't want to be around people that are hypocritical. But we all are at different times. And so we hide that at different times because we want to be known, because we want to be loved. We don't want to be known because we want to be loved. And so I was thinking about that because Jesus talks about hypocrites here in our passage. And what he's going to say here and the things he's going to tell us, I think, shine a bright light, uh, kind of exposes that half-truth, the way that we live in those ways. And he tells us some things that are really important and really helpful, really profound to kind of open us up to living more fully the way God calls us to if we listen to what Jesus says. But I'm going to tell you, as you read this and as we start our way through this, you're going to read what Jesus says. And at the beginning, if you don't take the fullness of what he says and you just take the first part, it's terrifying. It's really, really scary if you stop and think about what he says here. And so the way I want us to look at this text is first, there's an inescapable truth he tells us about God. So there's an inescapable truth. Secondly, why is it terrifyingly threatening? And it is. When you first hear it, it's terrifying. But then lastly, how if we follow all the way through what Jesus says here, it becomes glorious and wonderful. Right? So if there's an inescapable truth that on its face is really terrifying, but if we follow it all the way through, it's glorious and wonderful. So let's just start with the inescapable truth. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through the Gospels. We've been looking at them chronologically, following Jesus' ministry all the way through. We're now in the third year of his ministry. We're actually over the halfway point of the third year. And one of the things I keep saying is we we often refer to the third year of Jesus' ministry as the year of opposition. Because in his preaching and teaching and his fame growing and all these things that are happening, he's radically threatening to a whole lot of people, particularly the religious leaders of the day. And they're out to get them now. And that opposition is growing. And what we've seen the last few weeks is Jesus is kind of narrowing his focus as he starts to focus on the cross and what is to come. A few weeks ago we saw he says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he's getting more and more direct. And he's getting very clear on these things. And so the opposition is growing. If you look at the end of chapter 11 from right before where we just read this morning. Chapter 11 verses 53 and 54. It kind of sets the scene for us. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so what they're doing is they're trying to provoke Jesus now. They're trying to get him to say something dumb so they can catch him in it. And so really what you see, if you think about it, is they're coming at Jesus and they're supposed to be the religious leaders of the day that are looking for the Messiah, that want to follow God, and now they're not even questioning Jesus to understand Him. They're questioning Him to try to catch Him in a lie. Right? What they're really doing is very hypocritical, if you think about it. That they claim to be the ones that love God and love His Word, and Jesus is here, God Himself in the flesh, and they're not even listening anymore. They're trying to catch Him in something. They're trying to attack Him. They're trying to provoke Him, as it says in the text. And so look at what Jesus says there in verse 1. In the meantime, when many thousands of people had gathered together and were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so there it is. He uses the word right there. He says they're hypocrites. And he says, Beware of their hypocritical behavior and what they're doing. It's like leaven. 
Now, Jesus often talks this way. He uses uh, different uh, lessons based on things that they knew, object lessons. Here he's talking about leaven. Maybe some of you here uh, make your own bread. You, you kind of know how that works. That makes sense to you. Some of us don't. Some of us just go buy bread at the store and don't really know anything about leaven. But when you're making bread, you put it into the dough and it has a chemical reaction and it gets into it and it makes it rise and then you can help make your bread and it makes it better. But if you think about what actually happens when you put leaven in the dough, it's a chemical reaction that spreads throughout it and it gets into all of it in different ways. And so what Jesus is saying is something that his audience would have readily known when he says that. He says hypocrisy is the leaven. And he says when that gets in things, it messes it all. It gets in everything. It spreads throughout it. And I want you to think about what he's warning us of there. Right? So when you start to live in a way that's out of step with how you profess that you believe. Right? You start to do little things that you go, I believe this, but then you don't do it. And you start to hide parts. And you start to kind of hold things back. And you start to make excuses. Once you start making excuses for your actions, it's really easy to continue to do that. And it starts to spread into everything. And here the religious leaders are now against Jesus and it's kind of overtaken the way that they see him and what's happening here. And so it starts to spread into everything. And it's really dangerous when you think about it. Being a hypocrite. Saying one thing and doing another. It's particularly important for us as followers of Jesus. If you go and you're proclaiming the good news and you're inviting people in to see what Jesus is like, but then your life doesn't match up to any of those things, it's detrimental to your witness. It's detrimental to the spread of the gospel. And so Jesus says it's really important that hypocrisy is terrible and it's going to cause all sorts of issues. But then he says something really important here. And he's saying it talking about the Pharisees, but he's really talking about everyone. He pulls his disciples in and he's reminding them how important it is to not be a hypocrite, to understand the truth of who God is. And so listen to what he says here. He says a really inescapable truth that is so important in verse 2 and 3. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And so what happens here is Jesus is giving a summary statement of the doctrine of God's omnipresence and his omniscience. And he's really giving us a summary of what the Bible tells us about judgment. Huge, huge, big ideas in those two verses. But two, three really important things he says there that he summarizes. And I want us just to think about that together for just a second. If you would, keep your finger there in Luke chapter 12, but turn back to me with me to Psalm 139. Mike just read it for us right at the beginning of our service at the call to worship. You can find it in your Bible there uh, if you're using the ones in the pew on page 655, 655. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David and he's crying out to God and he's talking about how God sees all things and where he is and how he's involved. And so listen to what he says in verse 7 of Psalm 139 as he talks about God's omnipresence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. 
He says, where can I go that I escape God's presence? And the answer is nowhere. There's nowhere that you can go or any place that you can be that God is not there present and seeing and actively involved. And so Jesus is saying that. He says, there's nothing that you say that is hidden. Nothing is covered that won't be revealed or hidden that is not known. And he's telling them that. That's exactly what Psalm 139 says. And so God's omnipresence. But then if you go back in Psalm 139, go back to this verse 2. It also says that God is more than just omnipresent. He's omniscient. That is, he's all-knowing. Verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Nothing happening anywhere at any time that God doesn't know. And it's not just that he's observing you or watching what you're doing, but he knows your thoughts. He knows your motives and your intentions. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight. And the Bible tells us that clearly over and over again. And I think Jesus is making reference to that and pointing us to that truth. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. You exist by the word of his power. You exist because God says so. You are spoken into creation by his word. Is there anything that he doesn't know? And the Bible's answer is absolutely not. He knows every single bit of it in every way at every time. And so when we start to think about what hypocrisy is, right? Putting on a good face, pretending we're one thing when we're another thing, right? Showing to people or to the world one view when we're doing other things in secret. And God says, that doesn't work. I know every bit of it. There's no place that you go or no thought that you have or nothing that you do that I don't already know. Every single bit of it that you think is hidden is not actually hidden. But then there's one last part here as you think about that. We have God's omniscience, that he knows all things, his omnipresence, that he is present in all. But there's also something else that he says here. Verse 3, he says, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And I think what Jesus is talking about is the judgment that is to come when he returns. Jesus talks about this. The New Testament tells us this over and over again, that nothing will be hidden, that will all be revealed, that when Jesus returns, we're going to stand in judgment before him. First Corinthians chapter four, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Second Corinthians chapter five, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaking, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book. 
When Jesus returns, all will be brought to light. Everything whispered in secret will be revealed. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight. And you start to think about what he's telling you there. That you can pretend and you can put on a good face and you can act like you've got it all together, but you are not fooling God. There is nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that is hidden from his sight. And you read that, you read verses 2 and 3, and you think about the fullness of what God says. And how does that make you feel? It's terrifying, isn't it? It's pretty scary. I've thought about this for years. I think I've maybe used this as an example before. But can you imagine coming in and sitting down this morning? You know, it says, Life of Jesus, or it says, Welcome to Church of the Apostles, or the, the words of the music starts to play and they pop up there. If all of a sudden the lights went dark and on the TV was none of that and suddenly it was your face. And it's your face saying everything that you thought the last week from your lips. And somebody goes, they see your face. It's me. It's my face. And you all start looking at me. You said, what? You thought what? Can you imagine how horrifying that would be? People are looking up there and they're seeing and then they're looking at you and then they're looking at it. What would you do? You'd probably get up and leave, right? You'd probably go, eh, I'm out of here. You probably would leave and never come back. You'd be like, I'm not going back there. Right? Why? Why would that be so horrifying? If nothing was hidden... Suddenly, unfiltered information, no control over what people see. You'd be embarrassed, right? You know the things that you think. You know the things that are the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. And you start to think about those things being brought out in the light. Why would that be so horrible? And you think about people seeing you, seeing you for all of who you are, right? We want to be known because we want to be loved. We don't want to be known because we want to be loved. And you'd start to look around and think about how embarrassing that is and what people now know about me and they have this unfiltered information. But you know what's the saddest part when you stop and think about that? Right? Put yourself... Really think about what that would be like. The saddest part is for most of us, we sit here and we're worried about what other people would think of us. Our minds don't even go to what God sees. Oftentimes we don't even think about the holiness of of the omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing God that created all things. We're more worried about what people think. Oh no, that'd be so embarrassing because of what they think of me. And Jesus is telling us here, don't do that. He actually says that in verse 4 and 5. He says, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about people that could even kill the body. You care about what God thinks. And I want you just to try to put your mind around that for a second. You know, there actually is a passage in the Bible that shows exactly that kind of scenario. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. And the prophet Isaiah has this vision and he's brought into the throne room of God. Do you know this passage? Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Do you get the picture? There's Isaiah standing before the glory of God. And the seraphim are flying around and they're there and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're saying these things and they're proclaiming it. And in verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he's immediately overwhelmed with his sinfulness. In the face of the holiness of God, immediately there's nothing hidden. Right? He sees and gazes upon God's glory and suddenly there's no pretense. There's no pretending that I've got it all together. He cries out, woe is me, I am lost. That's every single one of us in God's presence. We recognize clearly what sin is and that it's against God. That it's not what people think. That all sin is ultimately ignoring God or rebelling against God in the world that He created because we owe everything to Him. And how often we forget that. And how often we pretend or we try to put on a good face or act like we have it all together. And when we do that, we're caring more what people think than what God thinks. And when we do that, we're missing our deepest need. We're missing the very heart of who we are and what we are created for. Verse 4, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus says, don't worry about what people think. You worry about what God thinks. The ultimate problem we have is not putting on a good face for the people around us. The ultimate problem that we have is that our sin and rebellion is against God and it separated us from the one who's created us. The one that we were made for. The one that designed and fashioned your soul and is the greatest need of your life and you've turned your back on him over and over again and Jesus is saying that's who you should be looking to. Not worrying about what other people think. And so I want you to think about why he says that that way. Fear the one that can cast you into hell. Think about the context here. Consider the context of hypocrisy. You can put on a fake front and pretend, but that will get you nowhere. And Jesus says, don't try to put on a good show for other people to see. You look to God. He sees your sin fully. He knows exactly who you are. You can't fake Him out with that. That will not work. I think of how often God uses situations in our lives to reveal these things to us. I was thinking about this this week and the, the way in which we put on a front that we pretend that God doesn't see those things or we act like we've got it all together. God doesn't really know. And it reminded me of this moment that I had with my son Jed when he was about three years old. If you know my son Jed now, he's 15, he's this tall, but this was when he was a little bitty boy. 
And I think he was two or three, somewhere in there. Jeb was one of the cutest little kids. Giant, fat cheeks. You'd just see him and you wanted to squeeze his cheeks. He was so cute. And I remember walking in to my bathroom, Joanna and I's bathroom, and I walked in and he kind of did one of these, like, like I'd caught him doing something. And I looked at him and said, buddy, what are you doing? And he turned around and he had makeup all over his face. And he's like holding Joanna's stuff behind his hand. And I said, uh, buddy, did you get into mom's makeup? Like, no. You know, great big chubby cheeks, like shaking his head no. And you're trying not to laugh because he's got makeup all over him. So you sure? You sure you didn't get into mom's makeup? No. And I got down right in his face and I said, Jed, are you sure? It's okay. I'm not going to be mad at you, but just tell me the truth. Did you get in mom's makeup? He, no. And so I took him and I picked him up and I set him on our vanity. And then I turned him around so we're looking in the mirror together. And I didn't have to say anything. He got great big tears in his eyes. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, a little boy he didn't say it quite like that. He just started crying. And he knew, right? He knew in that moment there's no hiding. See, the truth is in our hypocrisy and we pretend and we put on a good face, we're just like Jed is. It's all over us. And God can see it so clearly, and yet we continue to pretend. We continue to act. We continue to pretend like we've got it all together. When the truth is, in and of ourselves, we are hopelessly lost. We're just like Isaiah. I'm lost. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so you hear that and you think about the truth of standing before a holy righteous God. And even right now, as you sit here today, there's nothing that's hidden. There's nothing that God doesn't know. When we're pretending, it's like we're standing there going, no, 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 I really didn't. And I want you to think about that. And it's pretty terrifying if you stop and just read those verses and what Jesus says and fear the one who can cast you into hell. And this is what it looks like. And I see all of that. And so how does that go from being terrifying to glorious and wonderful. We want to be known because we want to be loved. We don't want to be known. But He knows all of it. So how can we ever be loved? How can that possibly work? Please, please hear Jesus' words. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one whom blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I want you to think about what Jesus says there, what he's telling us there in that passage. He's saying that you are known. There is nothing hidden. You are known completely and fully. Nothing is hidden. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. There's nothing in your life, the sin, the rebellion, your things that you're hiding. Well, how is that not terrifying? Because Jesus says, if you acknowledge me, 
and you don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? What does that mean? That the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of sin and points us to Jesus. And so when the Spirit convicts you of sin and points you to Jesus, you say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I desperately need Jesus. But when you do that and you profess Jesus and he says, you proclaim me and you transfer your trust to me, I will stand you up in the midst of congregation and say, this is my beloved son. We want to be known because we want to be loved. We don't want to be known because we want to be loved. But what Jesus says is, I know all of it and I still love you and I've come to do for you what you can never do for yourself. God is so good. He says, fear the one who can throw you into hell. But then then the very next thing he says, but are you not more valuable? Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, coming to Jesus is placing your faith in him. Repenting of your sin and trusting Him. Transferring your trust from yourself to Him. And as you do, He says, I've got you. There's nothing that I don't know. There's no hiding. And I want you to think about why that's glorious and wonderful. We are sinful. And we are broken. And we pretend. And we hide. And what Jesus tells us is He knows all of it. And that he's come to lay down his life anyway. That he loves you that much. And when you see that, and when you understand that, there is a freedom that comes in Jesus. I'm not fully there. I'm trusting him, but I'm still hiding in different ways. There's times when I go, I don't want anybody to know. But then I read this and I hear what Jesus says. I go, thank you, God. Thank you, it's not because I have it all together. Thank you, it's not because I'm perfectly figured all of this out. But it's completely because of you and nothing else. And I want to trust you more fully. And as we do, it frees us to confess our sins to one another. It frees us to encourage one another. It frees us to quit lying. To quit pretending. I'm not saved by how good I am. I am only saved by Jesus and nothing else. And I'll tell you, it's hard as as a pastor, and you think, i got to have it all together. I don't have it all together. And I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't require me to have it all together, but that He's done it for me. And so all I can tell you... As we end here this morning, as we think about this, it is glorious and wonderful because Jesus is glorious and wonderful. And He's done it. And we can rest in Him. And we have no other hope. That's all we get. And it's everything. If we trust Him, as we we continue to follow Him and put our faith in Him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You for the glorious good news of the Gospel. We thank you that you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves. I pray for each person here. As I believe that it's, it's completely true of all of us that we want to be known and we want to be loved. We thank you that in you that you know us completely and fully and that you love us. 
that you have dealt with our sin by your perfect life and your atoning death, that we can trust in that, that we are saved not by our goodness, by your goodness, would you help us to continue to transfer all of our faith completely to you, that we would stand in your righteousness, not our own, that we would continue to trust you in all things and in all ways, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.